0: All right, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 40. As we ter- turn there, I do want to, um, you know, pretty sure that everybody's seeing the news about Israel and what's happening in the world. Um, I just wanted to take a time to to read a, a verse and uh, to pray for just the Israel and the world right now. Um, it was probably about ten years ago. I was in Israel and at Hezekiah's Tunnel. For those that, that you have been that have been there, there, there are always world events in Israel. They're like all like always. There's something happening. And on this particular trip at Hezekiah's Tunnel, when you punch out, you kind of punch out into a Palestinian area. And because of some unrest, I ain't no skateboarding in a church. Oh, sorry, Brent. I was like <laughs> like. Kids aren't allowed to do it. I don't know why he's allowed to do it. <laughs> he's the wrong guy to challenge. <laughs> he's the wrong guy to challenge in a public way, because I'm like, I'm going to lose. Um, any, yeah. Uh, um, I can run faster right now, though, but I don't know if I can skateboard faster. Um, where was I? Um, yeah, the Hezekiah's tunnel. And so, they, so they weren't allowed, they were not allowing us to, to punch out and at the bottom, but you were allowed to go all the way down to the very bottom. And there was a, a security guy there and we just kind of chitter chatted for a bit. And I'll never forget the conversation and he kind of looked at us and he said, you know, they're all trying to solve these problems politically and they'll never be solved politically. They will only be solved spiritually. And I was like, that's pro- that's profound. And what we're seeing today is is as old as literally as David and Goliath. In um, Psalm 83, if you have been doing the church's bi- read through the Bible reading program, uh, just this week we read in Psalm eighty three, 83, O God, do not remain quiet, do not be silent, and O God, do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar and those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make themselves shrewd. They make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. So this was written thousands of years ago, and the words there are as that they're being quoted today just as true as ever. And I, there's, there's a ton of questions. Um, certainly it's a serious time for the world. And so I thought uh, in other Psalms, throughout the Psalms, it says pray for the peace of, of uh, Jerusalem. And so we just, I just want to take some time now just to, to say a little prayer. And as you see the news, I'd encourage you, when you see the news, use it as a trigger to, to say a little prayer for uh, the peace in Jerusalem. Ultimately, this situation will only be resolved by God. Um, any sort of peace accord that's gonna come, it'll only be temporary until the Lord moves. And so, mm-hmm. uh, Father, we do come before you, Lord, with heavy hearts and seeing just the news over the last, the last week, um, these attacks that, that started, uh, last Saturday and have, have continued and escalated throughout the week. Uh, these are, are serious times. And so, Many of us are are helpless in being able to actually do anything uh, where we are in our lives uh, except to pray and so you have called us to pray, and so we look to you, Lord, that you would um, that you would move in the midst of the situation we pray Father uh, for the world's leaders, that you would give them wisdom and discernment and uh, Lord, may they. Figure out a way to to resolve this um, as best as possible, and it's 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 hard not to come before you just honestly, and and from my experience to see that there's no easy way out of this, or even that there is a way out of this from human terms. And so, Father, we we look to you, Lord, um, to help in this situation. Father, we pray that in the midst of the destruction and hurt and anger and all of the emotions from the loss on both sides, Father, we pray uh, that the gospel would go forth. I am confident that there are uh, people there uh, serving on your behalf. I I think of the story from the Old Testament where I forget who it was, uh, that they just came upon the soldier and asked, whose side are you on? And the response was, neither. I'm on the Lord's side. Yeah. And so, Father, we pray uh, that in the midst of this, Lord, that you would turn uh, people's eyes towards you. And, Father, for uh, we know that our only hope, our only security, our only stability in life comes through you. And so, Father, we look to you uh, for help here. Uh, we love you, God, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Okay, so today... Is Bible Bingo at Debbie's house. If you have any questions, you can see Debbie right here. You can raise your hand. For the next announcement mainly is, so she made an executive decision this week. So the Journey to Bethlehem tickets, um, it's going to November 12th. So from December, it got moved to November. You have 30 tickets on hand? She has 30 tickets on hand, paid for. They're cheaper than she thought they were going to be. Only $10.50. You can round it up to $11, uh, as her service fee. I don't know. Like, I, uh, uh, the church isn't involved. So it's just straight with Debbie. So let Debbie know if you want a ticket. So, and I'm sure she will coordinate the, the plans of what's going to happen there for that, for that movie day. Um, and then this coming Saturday, October 21st, uh, Camp Julian Oaks, it's their, it's their benefit fundraiser out at Camp Julian Oaks from 11 to 3. It's a wonderful time. I'd encourage you to go. I think you need tickets, but I'm kind of like, it's better just to show up and ask for forgiveness if you don't have tickets. Um, and then on November 4th, we have ladies and lattes. So those are the announcements. Um, the kids who go to Sunday school can go to Sunday school. Uh, for the rest of us, we're in Genesis chapter 40. The bulletins say we're just doing Genesis chapter 40, but so much of of, of Genesis, these these long books, it's hard to really figure out how to divide them up until you get into them. And so then this week, as I was like studying and reading and reading, I just kind of felt like if I stopped at chapter 40, it would sort of, uh, I don't know, it's just kind of like leaves us hanging. And so I feel like we need to get to chapter 41 in order to see uh, sort of the, the purpose of chapter forty. And so we get the, the pleasure of, of really just to get into this story. This is, this is probably, one I mean, I don't want to the problem with the Bible is every week I'm like, oh, this is the greatest portion. Like, this is the greatest story that we're going to hear all day today, like in the Bible. Like, this is, I can, I can guarantee us that. It's just a wonderful story. I mean, they've made movies about this, the story of Joseph, and today is, is a fascinating story. And so we're going to read it, and I just my prayer is that we would get lost in the story and that God would show us how it applies to our own lives. Uh, So let's pray, and then we'll look at the story. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for this time that we have to, to gather and to read your word. I pray, Father, that as we look at these three dreams, that you would help us to see what happened in context, what happened in the story. I pray, Father, that as we work our way through this just this wonderful story, I pray that your Spirit would move in each one of our own hearts, Lord. If there are things to be seen that I don't say uh, because of the the quickness of moving through, I pray that you would help each person uh, to hear your voice uh, through the story, and that we would just have a wonderful time getting lost in the story. And it's in Christ's good name that I pray, Amen. All right, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna. Just jump right into the story. So Genesis chapter 40 verse 1. Uh, Then it came about after these things. And so after these things, we could probably go back. I mean, a lot's happened. It seems like in the life of Joseph, he takes uh, two steps forward and then he takes three steps backwards. So he, he was raised in a, in a prominent family, a well-to-do family. He was the favorite of the sons. He had his fancy jacket. And then he had these dreams of his own of these great things that were going to happen. And then he shared them with his brothers and, and his brothers didn't like what he had to share. So they threw him, uh, into a pit and they sold him to slave traders. And from there he, he finds his way, uh, down in Egypt. And, and as he's there's a slave, he works his way all the way up the ladder. He's, he's, God has blessed him and, and sort of put him in a good place. And within this household, uh, the wife makes moves on him. And so he flees. And as he flees, his second coat is left behind as sort of evidence against him. And so then he's thrown down into a, a jail. And so this is where we find ourselves after these things. And the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh is a title, was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer, the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail. The same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Alright, so here we are, we're in the jail. All of a sudden uh, Joseph's doing whatever he does while he's in jail. He's still living his life. He's just honoring God, it seems. The the story indicates that wherever Joseph went, he just sort of said, okay, this must be God's plan. I'm going to do the best that I can do here. If I'm going to be a slave, I'm going to be the best slave. If I'm going to be a a prisoner, then I'm just going to be the best prisoner. And so while he's there in jail, these two guys, a cupbearer and a baker, are thrown in into the brig. That's Navy talk. And so there they are in, in jail, and these guys were sort of guys that were really important. Uh, the cupbearer, your your translation might say butler or something along these lines. These are the guys who sort of fed and cared for the king. Very elite position. It, um, I remember years ago I read a book, a self-published book. Some of those self-published books are the best ones. They're the most entertaining. But there was a guy, forget his name, but he was the chef on Air Force One for like twenty years of of all these different presidents, and so he decides to write this book, and so he talks through sort of the story of how he'd acquire food when they were overseas, and and the the secrecy of it. He would just sort of like hop off the plane and waddle into town as some you know expatriate, just getting some grub, you know, and then he take it back and he make it for the for the for the president, and just a fascinating story. But these guys are super important because they have access to the king. And the king's, if you want to kill the king, these guys are the guys that could do it. Uh, the cupbearer is a guy who anything that went before the the king, he would sort of sample. If he did his job well, he would be dead in 30 minutes. And then the king says, okay, I'm not going to eat what he ate. So, but if everything went sort of like normal. There was no, he just lived like a king. He got to eat and sample all the food that the king ate. And this is like a wonderful job. And then you have the baker. History tells us that the Egyptians really cared about their baked goods. I'm not going to go into all that. I don't have time, but but historically they had all sorts of different baked goods that they they loved. And so these two guys did something we don't know, but the Pharaoh became furious at them and he throws them into the jail. And then the whoever is ahead of the jail says, "Joseph, handle these guys." And so we pick up our story in verse 5, then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. Have you guys had dreams? Just this week I kind of forgot like you know last Sunday we zipped out of church me and my boys we went to Lake Tahoe we we drove like it was like I got to get out of here because it's, I know I have like 11 hours in front of me and so we drove 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 and then wouldn't you know it I had the weirdest dream on Sunday night but it was super sad like I my dear friend from high school who I like I was like one of my best friends in the world I had this dream. I I walked into some coffee shop or something. I saw him, and he's with a couple guys. And I was like, hey, how's it going? How's it going? And then I walk out, and I see his wife, and I give her a hug. And I'm like, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? And she was like, ah, you know, it's not good. And it's like, wait, what's happening? She's like, oh, we're here meeting with our attorneys. And my two very good friends, they were, like, getting divorced. And I woke up super sad. I texted Anna. I'm like, I just had this dream that so-and-so and 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 such-and-such, I'm not going to say their names now. They're getting divorced, and it like took me a while to sort of shit. And Anna was like, "That's really sad." I'm like, "It was horrible." Like, and then it just kind of took me a while to sort of go, "That was a dream. That was not real." But when you have these dreams, and it sort of like the the reality and fiction can be overwhelming. And so here these guys are. they the word dejected. they they're really scared, worried. like having anxiety. And Joseph sees these guys, like clearly these dreams messed up these guys to the point where Joseph saw them and said, something's not right. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who are with him in confinement in his master's house. Why are you guys so sad today? And they said to him, we've had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Now this sounds very weird to us in our, our culture dreams aren't as significant in our day and age but to the Egyptians, dreams were very significant. And these guys, uh, the, the cupbearer and the baker, they were with the king. And the king always had access to people that would give their two cents about what these dreams meant. And so they have these really discouraging dreams, but there's no one there to interpret what, what the significance of these dreams were. And so they're distraught, but they have no idea what these dreams mean. And then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. And so, right away with Joseph, I could see Joseph, there's just. See, when there's so much text, I don't have a whole lot of notes and we're left on my brain, and then it's a very dangerous place to be of like, what do I share or not share? But, it's, but here he is. He's in jail. He has a lot of reasons to be like upset, bitter, angry at his circumstances. But here he is in this situation, and he's still sort of got his eyes on other people, and he notices these two guys, and these two guys look sad. And he's not concerned about his own self-pity that here he is in jail. He didn't do anything He's still looking out for other people, and I think there's a lesson for us in this. Like, whatever you're going through, sometimes a way to get out of your place of sorrow and sort of self-pity is to put your eyes on somebody else. There's always somebody that's going through something worse than you, and as you put your eyes on them and begin to help them, it might help you. And then Joseph, how did he get here ultimately? He got here because of dreams. And it could be like these stupid dreams. Just stay away, guys. Like just, just, just turn off the TV of your brain and move along. There's nothing good. There's nothing worth exploring with these dreams. But Joseph says to them, "You know what? Dreams can be from God. And 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 maybe if you tell me, maybe my God will help you understand what's going on." So in the, midst of his mit, in the midst of his mess, he's still willing to sort of be available to God. He's, he's still available to see that God's hand is moving in his life. And he says, go ahead, boys, let her rip. Let me hear what you were dreaming about. Verse 9, so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. Uh, I'm arguing with myself here. I don't want to be a spoiler alert, but this guy's going to be, he's the good guy. Like, and he's willing to volunteer. The guy who owns, owns, ends up getting, like, offed, he's the guy that doesn't volunteer first. So it's kind of funny that the guy who's got a clean conscience, he's the one who, like, is quick to volunteer his dream. And so the chief cupbearer, the guy who tested all the food, the one that has the dream job as long as he didn't get poisoned, uh, he goes first. And he said to him, in my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine there were three branches, and... As it was budding, its blossoms came out in my hand. So I took the grapes and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and I put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So that was his dream. This vine comes out. We're not going to spend too much time. That you can look it over and ponder it on your own. Then Joseph says to him, hey, I got an interpretation right away. Like, it makes sense to me. This is the deal. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you will put... Pharaoh's cup and his hand according to your former custom when you were a cupper, but you got three days in the, in the, in the, in confinement, you're going to go back. Life's going to resume. Everything's fine. Please. I'm giving this interpretation to you. So do me a favor when you get back there, only when you keep in mind when it goes well with you and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house for I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here, I have done nothing that should have put me into the dungeon. So when you, when you get released and you remember that I gave you this prophecy concerning your dream, and it all goes according to how I say, and you're next to the king, please just say a good word for me to get me out of here. Then verse 16, when the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he's like, hey, it went well, for him, maybe I got good news coming my way. He said, I also saw my dream, and behold, there were three baskets, three branches, three baskets, uh, similarities, it's probably going to go good for me too, uh, of white bread on my head. And on top of the basket, there were some of all sorts of baked good for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the baskets on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, I have an interpretation. It came to me quick. All right, let's hear it. The three baskets are three days good, good, just like before. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. Good, good, just like before. And will hang you on a tree. Uh-oh. And the birds will eat the flesh off of you. So really not a good situation. Joseph doesn't have any favors to ask of this guy. He, the story just kind of moves along. Verse 20. Then it came about at the end of the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday that he made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker amongst his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So everything happens just as Joseph predicted. The cupbearer forgot However, I would suggest that God has a plan in the midst of the story. If if the cupbearer had mentioned something at this point, I don't think it would have been the most beneficial uh, to Joseph at the time, which we'll see in the story. Two years goes by. Chapter 41, verse 1. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. Ah, another dream, number three. And behold... He was standing by the Nile. So I want to say that chapter 40, I think these two dreams in chapter 40 are only a setup for chapter 41. If these two dreams and these two guys didn't find their way there, there would have been no opportunity for Joseph to then minister to these guys, give his little prophecy, see that the prophecy worked out well, because then a time would come when Joseph's name would be remembered two years later. And behold, he was standing by the Nile. And lo, From the Nile there came up seven cows, cows sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and the gaunt cows ate the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke. He's so startled from his dream. Uh, Anna laughs at me because I'm convinced that I can steer my dreams, and so, so if my dream is not going well, I'm convinced that I can steer it to go well, and she really gets ticked off, like Aunt Grace too, like the, or no, you do you do the same thing. So, so my daughter and I have the capacity; it's our superpower, is we can steer our dreams, and so sometimes when you're steering a your dream, things just don't go out well, and you got to wake yourself up and then reset the dream, and that's what he does. So he wakes up, he's like, that was weird. Let's go back to sleep. Let's take a new dream. But he went into part two of the story. Uh, verse five, what happens sometimes? He fell asleep again, and he dreamed a second dream. And behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears of thin and scorched by the east wind sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Woo! It was a dream. We're not going to go into that because he's going to go into it with Joseph later. But he's still distraught over the situation. And we're told in verse 8, now in the morning, his spirit was troubled. So he sent and he called for all the magicians in of Egypt and all of its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And so these two guys that were in prison earlier with Joseph, they were all distraught because there was nobody to interpret. In this situation, the king had access to everybody. And so he calls all of them, every single guy. He gets a little conference of dream interpreters, and he says, this was my dream. And all of them are like, I have no idea what's happening here. And so then at this moment, this is the moment for the cupbearer. And the cupbearer is going to stand up before the king, and he's going to make a request. And I love this request. And the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh saying, I would like to make mention today of my own offenses. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to bring up the previous story. Like, and maybe when the cup, when the cupbearer was released from jail and he stood before the king, he clearly had done something that ticked off the king. And that situ, part of the situation was still very true. And so now two years later for him to, remind the king of the time when the king got really ticked off at him and threw him into, into the slammer. This isn't really comfortable for the cupbearer. And he's like, I don't really want to talk about this. Like, I've suffered, I've done my time I, for the crime I committed. It pains me to bring this up, but I feel like it's important that I bring up this situation again. Do you remember, Pharaoh, you were furious with his, your servants and you put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. You remember that guy that you killed? Um We had a dream on the same night. I never told you about this before. He and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related to them, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one, he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me in my office, but he hanged him. You got mad at us, you threw us into jail. While we were in jail that first night, we had these two separate dreams, independent of one another. Then there was this Jewish boy. We told him our dream. He said what would happen. And then right after that, it happened exactly as he said it would. In verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. And they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and cleaned his clothes, you've got to clean up a little bit before you see the king. A uh, dungeon isn't the best. Like, hey, let's put some deodorant on him. Let's shave him. Let's make him look acceptable before the king. He came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I I have a dream. I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said about you that when You hear a dream, you can interpret it. And so here is Joseph. Two years later, we're going to see that this is much time. Like if my my quick math, I think he's 30 now. He got thrown into slavery when he was 17. So we're 13 years later. This has been half of his life. Everything seems to have gone wrong. Plenty of opportunity for him to be bitter and angry against God plenty of room for him to be bitter and angry against his family, plenty of room for him to be bitter and angry against everything. And so here he is before the king, and what does he say? He says, it's not me, it's God. It is not in me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable, favorable answer. The I It has nothing to do with me. For some reason, God has given me this capacity to interpret dreams. This is the God of the Jewish people. He can reveal to you what your dream meant. So let's have it. Verse 17, so Pharaoh spoke to Joseph in my dream. Behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile and behold, seven cows, fat and sleek. So healthy cows came up out of the Nile and they grazed in the marsh grass Lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such as I have never seen for ugliness in all the land of Egypt. These were not good-looking cows. And the lean and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat fat cows. Yet when they had devoured them, it could not be detected that they had devoured them for they were just as ugly as before so you think if these like really skinny like cows had like an all you can eat steak buffet with like tomahawk steaks and everything like they're doing it up you would think that they would put on a little weight that they would start looking healthier but nothing changed they still looked nasty just as before He's like then i woke i saw also in my dream and behold seven ears full and good came up on a single stalk and lo, seven ears withered thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. So he talks through his dream. He shares it with Joseph. He tells him that I've already shared these two dreams with everybody who should be able to interpret it for me, but no one has been able to do this. Verse 25, now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. You had these two dreams, but they're exactly the same dream. They have, they're about the same event. God gave you two different dreams, but they're actually about one event that's going to happen. And he says right here, if you go through Joseph's talking and you highlight the word God, he brings up God a whole bunch. It's not about Joseph. This isn't his opportunity to capitalize on what God has gifted him with. He is letting God get all of the credit. This is with the Egyptians who have all sorts of gods. The Jewish God is distinct from them. And he says, God told Pharaoh what he is about to do. He says, God has spoken to you in your dream. Something really bad is about to happen. And God is giving you a heads up. For some reason, you, this Egyptian Pharaoh, God has poured out some favor in your life. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are the one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that come up after them are seven years, and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. Uh. So if you were to go through this chapter and sort of highlight or circle the word God, you're going to see that a bunch of times. And if you see the word famine, if you circle and highlight that, you'll get this a whole bunch of times. This word famine just screams in this chapter. And thankfully, I think thankfully for us, this is a word that that we just don't know Uh it's a, it's a word that's jumped out at me. I, you know, over the years, I've mentioned this book. I, it's been so long, I don't even remember the whole context of the book. I don't even know that I agree with the whole book. But you, you know, you read a book, and you, there are parts you like, there are parts you don't like, and then there are parts that kind of stick with you. And this this book about uh, misinterpreting scripture through Western eyes. These two Bible teachers did a conference, sort of, uh, to to sort of young pastors, Christians that were trying to learn the Bible. And they, they did this seminar where there was, I think, 100 students. And and in the first conference, they, their context was the United States. And there were 97 Americans or Western people, and there were three Africans, not like American Africans, but like from Africa, Africa students. And he said, okay, everybody just close your Bibles. You have a piece of paper. What I want you to do is I want you to 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 write out the story of the prodigal son. Just take 15, 20 minutes, write out every detail that you can possibly remember about the story of the prodigal son. And so the, after the time, they collected all the papers. Uh, the 97 Americans, they told the story. They shared the story. They were pretty close with everything, except they left out one word and one, uh, one little situation embedded in the story. And the three Africans the main point of the story that led with the whole story was that there was a famine in the land. And then they found themselves later in Africa. I think Don has read this book. So Donna, if I'm getting the facts wrong, don't correct me. Just let it roll because this is like a great story. I know I, can, uh, I just made eye contact with Don, so I'm like, I don't want to like, you know, just let the story be the story. And I'm really close to like, I think the truth, but it's been like 15 years since I read this book. So um, then they find themselves in Africa. And, and the, the numbers are exactly like the opposite. There's 97 African students and there's three Western students. They do the same test and the results were exactly the same. All of the African students highlighted the famine and the three Americans, there was no mention of the famine in their recollection. Like it, for me, the prodigal son, a famine doesn't even come up. Like I haven't fact checked the story, but I'm, I'm assuming it's there. So now when I see famine because of the whole point of that whole story, was when I see the word famine, I recognize that we as Americans, like, I don't know famine. Like, if, if, if I'm hungry, it's probably because I'm trying to lose weight and I'm intentionally starving myself. Like, I, it has nothing to do with availability of food. Like, but this is huge. And, and the warning here is that there's going to be a famine in the land. And as we read through the story, you'll see, that this famine is there, there's famine, famine is coming, famine, horrific famine. And so now that he tells this, he's going to interpret it, like he's going to explain or prophesy what the the Pharaoh is to do. In verse 28, he says, It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming for the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come. There's another famine. I missed that one. Am I marking up my Bible? And all of the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. It's gonna be super, super good. But when this famine comes, it's gonna be so bad that nobody's even gonna remember when it was good. And for those of you that have seen the movie, this is where the guy has the chopsticks trying to get the flies out of the out of the sky. Um, really funny movie, uh, or the good play. Like I enjoy it. Uh, now, where am I at? My brain. Sorry about this guys famine in the land. I think I'm about verse 31. The abundance will be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine for it will be very severe. Now, as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. This isn't something we're talking about like in 10 or 20 years, Pharaoh. This means this is knocking on our doorstep. Now you must take action. God is warning you. Verse 33, Joseph continues, and he's going to give Pharaoh sort of an action plan. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land. Let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. What he says is during the, the years, the seven years of abundance, take 20% of everything that comes in and you just sock it away for a later date. There's some, there's some wisdom in that financially, that, that, that you, like building up a little nest egg for, for a time that, you know, like maybe the, the government shuts down or something like that happens. You know, not that that could ever happen. But just, you know, just in case, I think there's some natural wisdom here to save for a rainy day. Verse 33, then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for the food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land of the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. This will be really bad verse 37 now this proposal seemed good to Pharaoh he liked what he had to say he's he's like bought in i believe this this dream was so bad to pharaoh that when when joseph spoke he's like what you're saying is absolutely accurate and i believe that this is from god and so i'm going to take action now the proposal seemed good to pharaoh and all of his servants and pharaoh said to his servants can we can we find a man like this in whom Is a divine spirit, and I don't know what Joseph was doing. I don't know if Joseph wanted this position. I don't know, but it's like everybody's looking around. It's like, well, it seems like this guy's a pretty good candidate, like right in front of us. Like he just told us all this. So Joseph said to so Pharaoh said to Joseph. Notice what Pharaoh says. Since God, this is an Egyptian speaking about the Jewish God. This is huge. Since God has informed you of all of this. There is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house. And according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand. And clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put the gold necklace around his neck. And he had him ride in his Ferrari, I mean chariot, and they had proclaimed before him, Bow the knee and set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh Named Joseph uh, 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 uh. Can you imagine that like two years ago, after the cupbearer and the baker go up, and the one's executed and the other one survives, it's like, I can just imagine like every day that the door opened, oh, this is it, this is it. One day goes by, a week goes by, A month goes by, six months goes by, plenty of room for like, oh man, God's never going to move. Two years later, who knows what Joseph is doing in his prison cell this morning, that by the end of the day, he is like moved into number two. He's got a fancy car. He's got all the fancy ring with all of the power. He can do whatever he wants in this land, like overnight, and it seems like God does this sometimes, like where he just, it just seems like he's not there. And then all of a sudden God does something and then it's just like the band-aid's ripped off and it's like his plan is set in motion. It's like, whoa, what, I, like, what is happening here? I can only imagine what's going on in Joseph's life. Now he has this new name and he's going to get a new girl or a, a girl for the first time. I don't like, he gave him, another Asenath the daughter of Potiphera priest of On as his wife and Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt man what a day now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh so half of his life has gone by this is 13 years later a lot of time 13 years from when his brothers sold him into slavery here he is like the top dog second to Pharaoh only in this most powerful nation of the world. During the seven years, verse 47, during the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all of the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed food in the cities. He placed in every city, the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus, Joseph stored up grain and great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it for it was beyond measure. They had so much stuff, so much stuff. Verse 50, then the storm came. Now before the year of the famine came, so Joseph is like 36 years old at this point. point, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphora, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all the trouble in my father's household. God gave him amnesia. Everything in the past is in the past. He says, I'm going to name my son this to say, like, every bad thing that happened to me in my life is, it's, it's in the past. It's gone. And I think there's a great lesson in this to like just not to quote from the movie, but let it go. Let it go. I'll I'll stop before I embarrass my family. Like, just let it go. Like amnesia. No more. Where am I at? Okay, let me forget. Verse fifty-two. Then he named the second Ephraim, for he said, "God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction." So he has amnesia and abundance that God has made him forget, and God has blessed him beyond what he could possibly ever conceive. And he said, these two kids are going to be sort of like standing stones to remind me of what God has done in my life. In verse 53, when seven years of plenty, which had been in the land of Egypt, came to an end. And in this section, the word famine just keeps like repeating over and over and over again. And the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said. Then there was famine in all the lands, But in all the lands of Egypt, there was bread. So the world was going through a crisis, but in Egypt, they were prepared. Why were they prepared? Because God gave a dream to Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh sought counsel, and Joseph was raised up in order to share wisdom from the Lord to Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh heard the wisdom, and then he heeded the wisdom. I think there's a lesson in that also. So many times there are people who talk and I hear about their problems, but they never ask, what do you think? They just say all this stuff and they have all of their reasoning, but they never stop to say and to ask actual counsel. I'm in this predicament. What do you think I should do? And He asked and then he heard and then he responded according to the wisdom that he gained from outside source. There was bread verse 55 So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Melanie. I mean, go to Joseph. Uh, (laughs) Whatever he says to, to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread all over the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the Earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the Earth. So we come to this spot. it's like the, the build up for like the point of the story is next week, the scene's going to shift, and we're going to go back to joseph 's family, and we 're going to see how they're doing, and it 's this great like buildup for this restoration of this family, a lesson of Joseph. But what do we do with this path? Like, what do we do with this passage, which is difficult? The first thing I want to point out is this passage is descriptive, not prescriptive. Um, I, I don't even want to go into to hey, uh, let's have a seminar on what to do with your dreams. That's is is just dangerous territory. Like, I know it in Hebrews chapter one. Verses one through two, it reads, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and prophets in many portions, and many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us and his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the world. Has God worked through dreams? Absolutely. Could God work through a dream today? Absolutely. Like I've, I've heard of people who had dreams. I hear about stories of people in the Middle East having dreams, I do think that when it comes time for you having a dream and what to do with it, you should be very cautious. It should be uh, balanced and measured against the word of God and counsel. It could just be that you had Hilbertos. No, I shouldn't say a name because it doesn't mean like, it could mean that you had, I I love, I don't even, uh, is that in town? I don't even know if that's a, I love, no, strike that from the record. You could have had just bad food and your food, like something's going on and you had a crazy dream. Like I don't think there was anything to my dream on Sunday. I just had a dream because of whatever reason, and there was nothing to it. My buddy, his wife, they're fine, everything's good. There's no issue. That doesn't mean that God can't stir in a dream today, in some way in your life? My only point is that you, as you give weight to your dreams, to do it very cautiously. And to make sure that the word of God has preeminence and is is primary to whatever thing that you might think God is leading you. God can do whatever he wants to do, and God can use whatever circumstance in your life to lead you along in your path. But, but it's also very easy to let other things uh, lead you astray. And so we need to be cautious. When I look at the life of Joseph, I see that this man continues to faithfully serve God regardless of his circumstance. I think there's a lesson for us in this. Whether he's a slave in his first household, he serves God faithfully. Whether he's in the, the, the slave household where he's rising up the ranks, he just says, I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. I'm going to honor God with everything that I have. And then when he gets thrown into jail, he just says, well, I guess I'm in jail now. So I'm going to minister, to minister here and do the best that I can do here. And now through that, he's in this place of prominence. And I believe that Joseph is still, even though he has all of this power and prestige, he's still operating based on the principle, I'm just a man that God is doing something through and I want to honor God and I'm going to make my life be pleasing to him and whatever God he does. Whatever God does, I'm just going to be faithful to him. I see in Joseph's life that he continued to look out for others, that while he was in the dumps and he could have Uh, been super bitter and angry and not wanting to do anything. There's these two guys. He sees them and he seeks to minister, to care for them, to point them to God. And then finally, I'd like to encourage you that your greatest suffering today, whatever it is that you're going through today that seems absolutely overwhelming, this thing that you're going through today in a year from now, five years from now, 20 years from now, This may be your greatest asset. Without some of the suffering that you're going through now, you would not have the capacity to minister and to care for others had you not have it. I am convinced that whatever you're going through, that God is doing something in you and through you, whether or not you understand it. I think that through the scriptures, it makes it clear that all things work together through good, all things work together for good. It doesn't say that it happens instantaneously. We see that in the course of Joseph's life, this is, this is something that's happened over 13 years, half of his life. So whatever trial you're going through, don't give up on God. Know that God is sovereign. That means he's in control. That means that God is bigger than your problem. And so whatever problem that you have and you're going through right now, it, it came filtered through the hand of God. And he has a plan for your suffering in your life. I'm convinced of this. God will give you the freedom to let you handle your own problems, but he's also like, hey, I'm available to solve your problems for you. So you have the freedom to let it go and to let God handle the Potiphar wives in your life. Uh, whatever suffering you're going through, you can say, Lord, I have no idea. I don't need to be my own judge. I don't need to be my own attorney to defend myself. I just want to live for you in a way that's pleasing to you. And whatever suffering's coming my way, I'm going to trust you to deal with it. Here's my life, Lord. I think it was in our Bible reading today that just, here's my life. Like whatever you want to do with it, do with it. I'm yours. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. And praise you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for the story of, of Joseph and these, these dreams and your working in his life. So, Father, we thank you for the story. It's just a, a fun, exciting story to read through. And, Lord, as we see you're working in Joseph's life, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be like Joseph, that we would... Uh, that we would look to you for encouragement. We would trust you, Lord, to, to handle the problems of our day, to know that whatever we're going through, whether we understand it now or we understand it tomorrow or we understand it a year from now, that as we walk with you, we can trust you and we can lean upon you and we can know that you are doing something. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to keep our heads up, to keep our trust in you, Lord, keep our eyes open to others around us, for there might be people right around us, Lord, that are suffering and going through things. And through our own suffering, through our own walk with you, we can use these experiences to encourage others and to be encouraged as we seek to encourage them. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.